This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. And there goes a line drive to left field. Swan is after it. He leaps it over his head against the wall. Here comes Gilliam scoring. Brooklyn wins. Jackie Robinson is being pummeled by his teammates. Congratulated. As he lined one out to left field, Swatter leaped for the ball. It was over his outstretched glove. Out up against that left field wall. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here once again on a very special day. Happy Jackie Robinson Day. It's always one of my favorite days on the baseball calendar. Unfortunately, no baseball today. I wish we were on the air on a day like this. It's always one of my favorites on the baseball calendar. But we're going to celebrate anyway on the podcast today as we have a very special Jackie Robinson edition of the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Some of you that have been with us for a while have heard a few of these interviews that we'll have today, but for some of you, a lot of these will be new. So I hope you enjoy it as we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. First, we'll have Aaron Goldsmith chatting with Vince Scully, who has one of the greatest stories ever been told on Mariners Radio. That will come up in just a minute or so. Also, Ken Griffey Jr. on Jackie Robinson, and of course, You've heard the story many times. You'll hear the story again in this podcast about his push for everyone wearing number 42. And so that comes up in a couple minutes as well. We also have Rick Riz sitting down with Don Newcomb. That is an interview I think you will really enjoy. Shannon Dreyer with Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. He's phenomenal as well. We'll also have Sharon Robinson, Jackie Robinson's daughter. She'll come up in just a few minutes. And to end things, how about Jackie Robinson himself from his Hall of Fame speech, which is always fun to listen to. So it is Jackie Robinson Day, and we will celebrate the great Jackie Robinson here. And we'll start with Aaron Goldsmith and Vin Scully. Vin, this day every year is a special day for everybody involved in baseball, but it must be even more special for you. What are your emotions like on the 15th of April every season? Well, because I go back so far with the ball club, because I knew Jackie reasonably well, I also am thrilled when Rachel shows up because I have nothing but the best and highest regard for her. Uh, So it brings back the memory, not only of Jackie, but what happens is it brings back the memory of all those other players who played with him and against him. Uh, I first met him in spring training of 1950, so he'd already been up a couple of years. And the first road trip, actually the end of the spring training, we left Vero Beach to go to New York by way of Texas. So that's quite a trip. And uh, we lived on trains, and 
would get to a hotel to take a shower and move on. And it brought the team together. And probably one of the, the great things that happened to Jackie and for Jackie was the thought that uh, Mr. Ricky had about Vero Beach. Vero Beach was a former naval air station, and the Dodgers were able to lease it for a dollar a year from the government. And the best part about it was uh, for those black players who eventually came into the organization, there was nowhere to go. Uh, the only they couldn't go to any of the cities really in in and around Vero Beach except for one small town called Gifford, and it was a black city really, a black community, mostly all black people who worked in the area. So the only where only place a, a black Dodger could go would be to Gifford, and there wasn't anything. There was a pool hall there. I know that, and I know some <laughs> of them shot pool, but that's about all they had. The positive about that was being restricted on campus, so to speak, uh, brought us all together, much more so than it would be today. Today they'd be gone as soon as practice is over. But living in Vero Beach at Dodgertown, you had to amuse yourself with others. And that brought Jackie very close to all of his teammates, along with Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb. I can remember as a kid broadcaster after dinner, sitting outside the dining room, and Roy Campanella would sit on a little wooden bench. It, we eventually had a sign, uh, Campy's Bullpen. And Campy would sit and tell stories, and uh, the rest of us would sit around and ask him, and he would talk about the, the so-called, in those days, Negro Leagues. And Roy would talk about playing three games in three different cities in one day. But the point of it is it brought us so much closer together. And I think it eased Jackie's uh, entry into organized ball, or at least the majors. On the broadcast tonight, Dodgers fans will be able to hear you talk about countless stories about Jackie Robinson. What is your favorite Jackie Robinson story? Well... I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it's certainly appropriate for tonight. Uh, we were on the road in Cincinnati many, many years ago, in the very early 50s. And uh, although Jackie had received threatening mail of sorts, uh, the one when we were going to Cincinnati was taken very, very seriously. And there was a tremendous police presence on the rooftops of the ballpark, on the roof of the uh, old laundry, which was back a left field, on the roof of the post office, which was down the right field line. They were everywhere. It was that serious. And uh, before the game, they had the usual team meeting, but there was a lot of tension in the air. We were all aware of the possible threat. And uh, while all the players sat there with the coach and the managers, everybody, uh, we had a left fielder named Gene Hermansky, who was from Brooklyn. Big, blonde, good-natured, happy-go-lucky guy. And the room was pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, Hermansky said, I've got it! And everybody kind of straightened up and looked at him and said, what? And Gene said, we'll all wear number 42, and nobody will know which one is Jackie. Well, it broke up the room. It broke the tension. And little did we know that Gene's suggestion would eventually come to pass because tonight, like Gene said, everybody will wear number 42. And I think that's probably my favorite story. 
That's a wonderful story. Vin, you're such a gentleman with your time. We appreciate it so much. And you're such a gentleman. You won't let me call you Mr. Scully. So with that in mind, Vin, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute honor. Aaron, thank you very much for the privilege of talking to the good folks up in Seattle. And now Rick Riz with Jackie's teammate, the great Don Newcomb. Well, Don, a very special day in baseball, April 15th, 1947. That was the day the game of baseball really changed. Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, and you followed Jackie with the old Brooklyn Dodgers only two years later in 1949. What was going through your mind and the other great African-American players the day you heard that Branch Rickey and the Brooklyn Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson to a, a professional contract to go to Montreal and play? Well, I had signed the contract along with Roy Campanella. Let's not forget Roy Campanella in this whole uh, right. interview. And Roy and I were supposed to go to Danville, Illinois to play in the three-eye league on the Danville Dodger team in the Class A, uh, you know, right. a classification. When he, uh, uh, Branch Rickey called the president of that league, he said to Branch Rickey, if you send, and they use the, the N-word, if you send the N-word out here, I'm going to close the league down. They'll never play here. So Branch Rickey said, well, what do you, what do you mean? And I said, no, they, they'll never play here. So we had to be withdrawn, Roy and I, and we checked the Dodger farm system to find out where we would go, and the Dodgers had one team left, and that was in Nashua, New Hampshire, the Class B level. And we wound up going to Nashua, New Hampshire, and we played in Nashua, and Branch Rickey got a call from the president of that league and said, I don't care what color they are, just send them out there if they can play baseball. Branch said they can play baseball, I signed them to a contract. Send them out like, and they can play in this league and they can do anything they want to do. And we went to Nashua, Roy and I. Roy became the MVP that year in 1946 in Nashua, New Hampshire. I won 14 and lost four. And I had to go back the next year to make sure I was the right, in the right place. I won 19 and lost six before they called me up to Montreal and my advancement to the Dodgers in Brooklyn. Jackie, of course, was the first and only three months later than Larry Doby in the American League with the Cleveland Indians. What made Jackie so tough? How was he handled, able to handle what he did in the early days? He wasn't afraid of anything. He was a man out there with a uniform on, standing on his two feet, doing his job that he was commissioned to do. And he had a whole horde of people that he had to represent. And most certainly Branch Rickey and the Dodgers, but outside of Branch Rickey and the Dodgers, a whole lot of people. And that included me and Roy and a whole gang of, a gang of other people, Rick, that he were depending on him because they were not available at the time a man who could do the job that Jackie Robinson did. None that I know of and nobody else could tell me that they knew of at that time. Oh, they could play baseball. But Jackie needed to let people know that not only can I play baseball, but I know how to handle myself. I know how to take care of myself. Branch Rickey asked him, if I slap you on your left cheek, what will you do? He knew what Branch Rickey was doing. He was, you know, testing him. He said, Mr. Rickey, I'll turn my left cheek. Now I guarantee anybody that slapped Jackie Robinson on his right cheek would never gotten to the left cheek, Rick, because they'd gotten up from the floor. Right. They wouldn't gonna hit Jackie Robinson and then get to his left cheek. Well, 
he knew how to take care of himself. Thank God nobody ever did that. Nobody ever tried that. They tried with knocking Jackie down, opposing players did. They tried with calling them names. They tried with writing them letters and saying they're going to kill them if they came into the ballpark, and they did that many times. In Cincinnati, they did it one time, and they said, if you come, we're going to kill all of you. Visiting with Don Newcomb. Don, 50 years later, 1997, baseball retires Jackie's number throughout the game, number 42. What's it like for you to see all these players, the African-Americans, the white players, wearing number 42 in honor of Jackie? A word that's so seldom used by people, even today, Rick, and uh, even then it never was used as far as Jackie was concerned, I don't think. I never heard it, but now it's used all the time. Respect. Respect for Jackie Robinson and what he did. Respect for Jackie and Roy and Larry and all of us and what we did. Jackie couldn't have done it by himself, but he sure tried. He would have tried harder, but he had Roy and I and then Larry Doby came along and we all added to the to the whole thing that Jackie was proud of. Jackie was proud of us too. He was very proud of us. And the respect that we all got is something that we all appreciate. Mr. Newcomb, what a pleasure to have the time to sit down and talk with you about your career and about one of the greatest players of all time, Jackie Robinson. It's a very special day in the game of baseball. Mr. Newcomb, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You went to Mr. Newcomb anyhow, didn't you? You wouldn't call me Don. It makes it look like when old I had to. Oh, wait, Mr. I had to. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. And Ken Griffey Jr. on the legacy of Jackie Robinson. You have certain guys who who have changed the world, and, and he was one of them. You know, you look at the draft and where kids are coming from, and and you know, free agency from all over the world um, to get opportunity to play baseball, and that would have never happened if he wouldn't have been as strong as he was to to not fight and do the things that uh, were necessary for, for everybody to basically reap the benefits of, of, of what he did. How did you first hear of him? I'm fortunate that uh, I've got guys who were always in my house, Brooks Lawrence, Chuck Harmon Sr., that were big influences on, on teaching the game of baseball and, and what the guys did before they started playing. And listening to the guys talk about the barnstorming and you know being in, in uh, buses and hanging the the pants out the window washing them that way and letting them dry mm-hmm. you know driving you know up north down south to 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 play in the winter time to make money you know I just remember looking at my dad talk about that don't exist now and he goes no and this is the reason why it doesn't exist but at age 12 you don't really fully understand uh, the magnitude of what these guys had to go through just to play the game that they love. You know, made it a lot easier for guys like me to just go out there and play baseball and not have to worry about everything else. I've had the opportunity to talk to, I've talked to Tommy Davis, I've talked to Don Newcomb, of course, and the stories that they tell and the graciousness that they tell it with. I mean, obviously it was a very hard time, but uh, they seem like incredible people. Tell us a little bit about the guys that you were talking about as people. You look at Chuck Harmon, who is the first African-American pitcher for the Reds, player for the Reds. And then you have Brooke Lawrence who came in, um, Joe Black, who if you talk about Joe Black, I mean, that everybody's eyes light up. Uh, Buck O'Neill. I mean, all these guys were like uncles to me growing up. You know, you very seldom listen to your dad, but, you know, when you have guys who, you know, who tell stories and, you know, who are great storytellers and you're sitting there like, oh, that really happened. They were great storytellers and kept you interested. And I think that's what, you know, some of the kids need to, to hear of what 
you know, these guys went through. And they'll appreciate things and, and start to really focus on, okay, I really want to do this. I really want to play baseball because of these guys. And, you know, I think that's what we're missing now is guys who were able to, to come into these locker rooms who played for these organizations and, and talk to the young guys, talk to the minor league guys, talk to high school kids to get these kids to understand that this world has changed and you can be a part of it and move it forward or you could just stay still and do nothing. You know, your generation is going to change the world. So, you know, you got to be a part of it and you got to be a positive role model in the community and stuff like that. You've got 25 guys out there wearing Mariners uniforms with number 42 on it. What do you want them to take away from today? That the man that we are honoring did everything he could so we can go out there and play this game and not have the racial tension that he had to go through. Him dying at a very early age because of stress and everything else, I think you know that took a toll on him, and that's why he passed away early. And what his family has done over the last 40, 50 years has been been unbelievable. I mean, to, to make sure he stays relevant, which he's going to stay relevant as long as there's guys like me that understand what he did and what he had to go through. Now, I may not really understand what he had to go through, but I had family and stuff who, who were there that tell me. But I'm going to make sure that, you know, when they talk about somebody, it's going to be him. It's been a great thing to see, and it's been great that you've been such a huge part of it. Thank you, Ken. Oh, thank you. And here's Shannon Dre with Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. As the Mariners in all of baseball celebrate Jackie Robinson Day, I was glad to get the opportunity to visit the Negro Leagues Museum earlier this week in Kansas City, where I had the opportunity to talk with museum president Bob Kendrick for a little more insight into the years leading up to Branch Rickey signing Jackie Robinson and on to the immediate impact after. I think Jackie had what I like to oftentimes refer to as the intangibles that better prepared him to deal with the racial hatred that he would be confronted with. He had been, as you know, a celebrated collegiate and all-American football player at UCLA, and baseball was his weakest sport. Much better basketball, football, and track athlete than he was baseball player, which tells you how talented Jackie Robinson really was. Jackie Robinson is one of the greatest athletes in American sports history, but were there other players in the Negro Leagues who were better baseball players than Jackie Robinson? Absolutely. And, but he was the right guy because he had those other intangibles. He was college educated. He had served in the military. He would become disciplined when he became married. He became married, so he's disciplined. All those attributes would be called upon to deal with that racial hatred that he would be confronted with. There were a lot of guys in the Negro Leagues who could have handled the baseball playing side of it. They couldn't have handled the social conditions, uh, and they couldn't have handled the, uh, the adversarial kind of conditions that awaited them on every turn in, in our sport at that time, and Jackie was able to shoulder that. And, and I say that fully understanding that Jackie Robinson was as fiery and feisty an individual as you will ever meet. There was nothing docile about Jackie Robinson. As the late great Buck O'Neill would say, Jackie Robinson could duke, and he would duke. He'd knock you on your rump. But he humbled himself for the greater good. Yeah, he really did. This was totally out of character for Jackie Robinson to take the kind of abuse that he ended up taking to be that first guy, but he did it for the greater good. His development in the Negro Leagues, that's never talked about. What can you tell us about that? Well, his real rookie season was 1945 here for the great Kansas City Monarchs. 
And as I'm so fond of saying, it was the Negro Leagues and Kansas City that gave America arguably his greatest, its greatest hero in Jackie Robinson. Well, the legendary monarch Hilton Smith, Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. great pitcher, did something that I don't think we'll ever see done in the game again today. He won 20 games or more, 12 consecutive years. And Buck O'Neill says had the greatest curveball that he's ever seen. Well, he sees Jackie playing baseball down at Fort Hood, Texas. And he recommends Jackie Robinson to J.O. Wilkinson. And Wilkie signs Robinson basically sight unseen from Hilton Smith's recommendation. And so he comes to Kansas City, plays just about a full season with the Kansas City Monarchs, had a great season that year, made the East-West All-Star game. And then all of a sudden the players say they noticed that he was gone. Yeah, they wasn't really sure what had happened to him. And, of course, as we know now, he was in summoned to New York where he met with Branch Rickey, and Rickey sprang this idea about him breaking the color barrier. And a year later, he's playing in Montreal. And a year after that, he takes that monumental walk on the field as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers, forever changing the game of baseball. But as we talk about here, more importantly, forever changing this country. And, and Shannon, we make the bold assertion that... Jackie Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement, 1947. That is well before those more noted civil rights occurrences. That is before Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm -hmm. That is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signed that contract to play in the Dodgers organization. President Truman would not integrate the armed forces until a year after Jackie. So for all intents and purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country, baseball. And our country literally jumped on the coattail of baseball. Mm -hmm. And so even though baseball had been vilified for not allowing blacks to play in in the major leagues, when it opened its door, our country followed suit. It speaks to the reverence that baseball held and still holds in our society. And so the importance that 42 is on at the wall of every stadium and that we celebrate Jackie Robinson Day. Oh, absolutely. We should never forget Jackie Robinson. And baseball has done a wonderful job of making sure that Jackie Robinson is remembered. And, you know, I, I think back to King Griffey Jr. as a member of the Seattle Mariners requesting to wear 42, and then all of a sudden this thing takes off. Mm-hmm. And But you but we should never forget the league that gave us Jackie Robinson. And and I think that is why it's so important that we share and remind people that Robinson didn't just walk out of nowhere. He had a place to stop and hone his skills here in the Negro Leagues, and that is where that, that opportunity to play this game, which allowed him to be discovered, to become that chosen one to break baseball's color barrier, or we don't know who, how many other stars we would have missed. Because, you, you know, if this didn't happen when it happened, you think about it. We could have possibly missed Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, hmm. Roy Campanella, Bob Gibson, you know, uh, Roberto Clemente. Can you imagine our sport without those great stars? And if you can, you can imagine what it was like before 1947. Because these athletes didn't learn to play baseball after 1947. They were playing great baseball well before 1947. So you can only imagine about all the great stars we missed prior to 1947. 
Well, Bob, we can do a little bit more than imagine because of what you have here in Kansas City. Thank you so much. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. Great to host you guys and come back anytime. And now Sharon Robinson, daughter of Jackie. We have a very special guest with us, Sharon Robinson, the daughter of Jackie Robinson, taking time to join us here. Now, you're here with Breaking Barriers, a program that you helped develop along with Major League Baseball. Tell us about Breaking Barriers. It's a program that's in schools all across the country, and it it, uh, teaches kids that barriers or obstacles are a part of life. We give them my dad's story, and then they ultimately tell their own story through a national essay contest. So I'm here today with McRae Leith, who is one of our nine national winners for grades four through eight. And so he and his family came down for the special pregame ceremony. How uplifting is it to go all over the country to different ballparks, read different stories, meet these children? How much fun is it? Uh, it it's you know, a labor of love. I, I, this is my 16th year, and I actually go into their classrooms and their schools and really get to spend a day with them and then bring them over to the ballpark. So it's all, And we bring them laptops and books for their whole class and T-shirts. So it's a, it's a wonderful program. And the kids all have to talk about a barrier obstacle they've had to overcome and talk about how they're using one or nine of my dad's values to get to that next level so it's a wonderful program and it's really just one of the many ways that you along with major league baseball help carry on the legacy of your father just a couple of weeks ago you you look at every baseball game and everyone's wearing the number 42 that was a great day yes uh, my mother and i were with the yankees so i spent the day out in the community and then the game that night and we had the rbi clinic and all kinds of activities out in the community but um it's, it's really exciting you know it was ken griffey jr who actually initiated wearing uh, a player wearing number 42 on Jackie Robinson Day, and now they all do, and it's, we love it. My family loves it. It's a great honor to my father. And how special is it to share it with a new generation of kids learning about his story for the first time? Yeah, you know, I, I when I came to baseball, I said, well, what I do with children is I, I talk about my dad's character, because I feel like it's something, a part of him that they can take and you know, and bring into their own lives. And I'm, I'm so happy that that's what uh, Breaking Barriers does. Is I, I tell kids, you know, that, yes, he was a great baseball player, a great athlete, but it was his strength of character that, that helped him to perform in spite of the pressure. Visiting with Sharon Robinson, daughter of Jackie Robinson. Now, you do a lot of writing as well. Tell us about some of your writing that you do uh, about your father in particular. Well, I'm a, a children's book author primarily. I've written two adult books, but I write uh, both fiction and nonfiction. And my fiction books are characters that are also overcoming some kind of obstacle in life. Safe and Home is moved into a, um, Harlem after his dad dies and slam dunk. He's soaring. He's running for office and it's competitive and it's, it's fun. Um, so, And then I write books about my father as well, and I've done for different age groups. Um, so right now I'm working on a, another novel, which is taking me a, a, way too long, so I don't <laughs> like to talk about it. <laughs> well, you must hear stories from how much your father's impacted the lives of so many people and inspiring so many people. I do, um, and it's all generations. And, of course, you know, the older ones that were actually there at Ebbets Field are, have the strongest connection. But they had um, sons and daughters and nephews and nieces. So you hear that generation saying what my father told me or I went to the game with my father or grandfather or whatever. So, um, and now this new generation, they study Jackie Robinson as part of National History Day. Um, they, they've been, uh, so we do, my mother and I do all kinds of uh, telephone converse, conferences with kids just talking 
talking about Jackie Robinson, and they prepare their boards and go to nationals, and they let me know whether they win or not. So it, it is really exciting to think that 65 years later, children today are studying my father and, and get it. They understand and they understand what how strong his character was. Yeah, certainly transcends baseball. Yes, it and, is. and much bigger than just a game. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sharon Robinson, thank you so much for the visit. We certainly appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. My pleasure. And here's Jackie Robinson from his speech going in to the Baseball Hall of Fame. First, let me say how much of a thrill it is to be coming into the Hall of Fame with Bob Feller, Mr. McKechnie, and Mr. Rouse. I want to also let you know that I feel quite inadequate here this afternoon or this morning, but... I think a lot of this has been eliminated because today it seems that everything is complete. First of all, I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know. And if either of them weren't here today, I know that this day could not be complete. But they're all here, and I just hope you don't mind if I... Just pay a a word of thanks and a a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend, a man who I considered a father, Mr. Branch Rickey. And, And my mother, who taught me so much of the important things early in life, I appreciate no end. My mother, Mrs. Robinson, And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. And then I... And sitting down, I must thank the baseball writers. I never thought at all that I would have this wonderful honor coming to me so early in my lifetime, and to have the writers to elect me on the first time is a thrill that I shall never forget. We have been up in cloud nine since the election. I don't ever think I'll come down. But I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days. I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry for taking so long, but I just wanted you to know I appreciate it so much. Thank you. New York 6, Brooklyn 1, last the 4th. Robinson stands deep in the batter's box, just a little way away from the plate. Rashes delivery, curve, swung on, hit right back through the middle, out over second in the center for a base hit. Joe DiMaggio comes in, scoops the ball up off the green carpet, throws in the second to Rizzuto, and Robinson holds on at first with a single to center. There was a curve ball that he hit, and he was just waiting for it. Hit it right back through the middle. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 